Get 0% interest for 48 months on any replacement project right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Our experts complete the installation with no hassle or mess, leaving only perfect results. Schedule your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Good afternoon. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to the program. And we spent the last hour and 20 minutes or so in our full-time storm team coverage. And inevitably, I just want to offer a comment here because I've been doing this for a long time. And inevitably, when, when we do this, we get a couple texts or a couple phone calls from people saying, well, why, why, did, you, why did you do it? We understand it's raining. Okay, well, this, this wasn't rain. This was a tornado morning and tornadoes that had been spotted or at least radar indicated. And they, they cause incredible damage. And it also... It also involved our entire listening area, and one of the things with weather is that affects all of us. Some of you might not care about sports. Some of you might not care about politics. Some of you might not care about the stock market, You know, it, but everybody cares about weather, and so that's why we do it. And then some people say, well, why are you in continuous coverage? Well, we're in continuous coverage because people come in and out. You know, Maybe it's you're, you're walking out of the hardware store, and all of a sudden you say, hey, what's, what's going on here? Or your phone goes off with that report saying, Saying that there, there's a tornado warning, which, by the way, is just, in my opinion, a, a wonderful, wonderful safety feature that alerts you of this. And then people tune in. So I appreciate that there's some folks that might have been listening for 25 minutes and are hearing us like go over some of the same stuff over and over again. But there's always people that are coming in. I get a couple people in the text line who say, well, it, it wasn't it wasn't that bad where I was. You know, you, you guys were making it sound like it was. But I, well, you should be very glad <laughs> that it wasn't bad where you were. That should be something that you are happy about, but it was bad in in some areas. Now, it sounds to me we're not getting like the massive damage reports that you get from some time, and I'm not trying to minimize this. I'm sure there are people that have trees down. The last number we had was 21,000 people without power, and that is a significant, you know, factor, but it doesn't look like it doesn't look like there was the massive damage that we get sometimes when you have these tornadoes. But that's, that is why we are in wall-to-wall coverage, because we want to advise you and inform you. And if we end up repeating ourselves, well, again, that the reason we do that is because we want to make sure that everybody who's tuning in, whenever they're tuning in, knows what is going on. And as we know from... Well, just th- this this last hour or so where you had a projected, okay, there were tornado warnings in one area and it looked like it was moving southeast. And then all of a sudden you have another tornado warning that pops up in Ozaki County because things change, because weather conditions change all the time. That That's why we stay in coverage. All right. Um, I had promoted this. We were scheduled to be joined at 108 this afternoon by U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. We have pushed that back to 208. Ron Johnson will be with me, but it'll be 208 this afternoon, obviously because of the weather coverage. All right, I have the results of the new Marquette University Law School poll. Now, I understand that there are some of you out there who just, again, don't don't believe in polls, and I appreciate that. Polls have, you know, pollsters have kind of taken a, a hit over the course of the, the last, you know, several years. But you, you take them for what they're worth. The Marquette University Law School poll, I think, is viewed as being more likely to be accurate than than some of the other polls that are out there. And it continues to be the gold standard in Wisconsin. So here are the numbers we are. Well, yesterday was four weeks away from the election. Lots can change from then. But here here are the top line takeaways. In the U.S. Senate race, now you will remember two months ago, the Senate race, and I predicted that it was going to be sort of the high water mark for Mandela Barnes, at least I believe that. He was leading Ron Johnson by four or five points. Um, the, the Senate race has flipped dramatically. In the new poll that is out today, Ron Johnson, supported by 52% of the voters, Mandela Barnes supported by 46% of likely voters. In September, it was Johnson 49, Barnes 48. And the one before that, it was like Barnes 52, something like that. So there's been a, a relatively dramatic shift. Johnson, according to the Marquette University Law School poll, leading Barnes 52 to 46. In the race for Wisconsin governor, um, the Marquette University Law School polls 
have showed Evers, Tony Evers, consistently a couple points ahead of Tim Michaels. Now, most recent polls that are out there have showed that this race is is a toss-up. And in the previous Marquette University Law School polls were all within the um, margin of error. But uh, other polls that have been out there recently have all showed the governor's race to be essentially tied with Michaels starting to move up. So among likely voters— Here's the numbers. Um, 47% support Tony Evers, 46% support Republican Tim Michaels. So that's it. In September, it was 47-44. It's now 46-44. But again, this is all within the margin of error. And that that is consistent with what you're seeing in other polls, that it's it's a toss-up, essentially one way or the other in the governor's race. Um than than it is in the the Senate race where Ron Johnson appears to be you know pulling ahead. Uh, both Democrat and Republicans strongly united behind the candidates of their parties. There, there's not there's not a lot of of wiggle room that that appears to be you know out there. Likely voters in the Senate race pretty much confirm that they're voting for Johnson or for Barnes. Their their choice pretty much isn't going to change. So what you're doing now is you're essentially looking for a small number of voters who might, uh, you know, might turn the tides, et cetera. So bottom line is Ron Johnson, and this is consistent with other polls that are out there, appears to be pulling ahead, if you believe the polls, pulling ahead of Mandela Barnes. He's now leading, and that is outside the margin of error. The Evers-Michaels race in the Marquette Law School poll, consistent with many of the other polls out there show it pretty much to be a dead heat or a toss-up. One point either way, the Marquette Law School poll has Tony Evers leading Tim Michaels by one point, which is within the margin of error. And again, uh, 208 this afternoon, we're scheduled to be joined by U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, and we'll, we'll ask him about the latest Marquette Law School poll and that, that shows him taking a, a lead over Mandela Barnes. The interesting thing, the, the race for governor has been very, very close throughout. It, it's been within the margin of error in the latest Marquette University Law School poll, together consistent with a number of other polls that are out there, has has the race within the margin of error. There was one out yesterday that showed, or two days ago, that showed Michael's ahead by a point. This one has Evers ahead by a point. That's within the margin of error. That That is essentially a dead heat in a race. But one of the things that has emerged is that Ron Johnson has taken, if you believe polls, a lead over them, which does, you know, bring, if, for people who wonder, I mean, two months ago, I just pulled up the numbers, you know, Mandela Barnes, they came out of the primaries, you know, he had a seven-point advantage over Johnson, okay? Um, and, and you say, okay, no, that, that's been a huge switch because now it's Johnson up by six. You know, that's a 13-point swing. What had ended up happening? And I do think if, if those numbers hold, and who knows what's going to happen a month from now, but Democrats are going to have to go back and look at the, the process because during the primaries, instead of a contested primary where, okay, the different candidates were really vetted. I mean, remember at the end, you had a number of Democrat candidates, Alex Lasry, for example, who'd been running for the Senate for, for over a year, who two weeks before the election decides that he, he's going to bow out. And, and you had that happen with other candidates as well, because, I mean, Democratic elites essentially decided, okay, Mandela Barnes is our guy. We're going to coalesce around him, and we're going to prevent this united front. The problem with that is that that's all well and good, except— Mandela Barnes never got vetted in in a heated primary campaign. So a lot of the issues that are out there now that are causing people to say, hey, maybe he's not our guy, they, they really weren't explored. And so, I mean, now you've got a candidate which might not have been and again, who knows what's going to happen four weeks from now, but might not have been the strongest candidate, but who is essentially, you know, okay, this is going to be our guy. And and if you think I'm being too hard on Mandela Barnes, you're seeing the same thing play out in Georgia, where you've got, you know, Herschel Walker, who is, of course, the former Heisman Trophy winner and professional football player who is just a folk hero in Georgia. The, the Republicans decided we are going to anoint Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker is going to be the Republican candidate. Well, just like Mandela Barnes, you know, Herschel Walker has all sorts of baggage. Now, it's different kind of baggage, but there's a lot of baggage that's out there. And in a in a race that Republicans should win in Georgia, you know, Herschel Walker is 
depending on which poll you look at, he's behind by two points or four points or whatever. But there was this decision that, hey, we're going to unite among this candidate. This is going to be our guy. This is who we are going to end up supporting. And then you get into the general election campaign and people, okay, the start looking at this and saying, okay, well, maybe maybe this is not the strongest candidate. Now, look, I, I think there's a still, still a very good chance that Herschel Walker can win in Georgia because of the makeup of, of the electorate. So maybe he's going to be able to overcome that. But I know that there's a lot of people thinking, oh, okay, maybe we missed, <clears throat> maybe we did not nominate the best candidate. And I think, again, you're seeing a lot of people thinking the same thing in Wisconsin, this idea that, okay, we're going to choose one candidate, we're going to pick one candidate. Well, that, that's all well and good. And, and we're not going to, we're not going to attack each other. We're not going to vet them. We're not going to raise all these issues. Well, the problem is you get them into the general election campaign, these issues come out. And I think a lot of people are collectively deciding that Mandela Barnes is not the right choice for U.S. Senate. Now, Things can change. Like I say, we've got four weeks, uh, four weeks minus one day to go to the election. But those are what the numbers show right now. You're hearing that pounding, too. Yeah. Well, I thought it was just my eardrums. No, but no, yeah, no. I it's, hear the oh, pounding. I don't know. No, it's, it's kind of like, all right, there's uh, the, the word is, well, it, they're doing something upstairs above us. But nobody knows exactly what that is. Can people hear it? Can we open up the talk and text line? Can, can I, 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 <laughs> doesn't, but you and I are both looking at each other going, okay, you know, what is all this banging going on? Yeah, I thought the severe thunderstorm passed us, but I was I got nervous there for a few minutes. Exactly. I'll admit. Well, we're, 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 we're moving into a new facility, and that's all, that's all good. And, you know, there's... And I guess you you, you got to do construction work at some point in time. So one thirty in the afternoon when you're trying to do a live radio program, that, that I'll go investigate for you. I'll bring it back. All right, you will you will well, no, just make it stop. That's <laughs> that's it's not investigate. It's it's make it stop. Hey, speaking of make it stop, when we come back, I've got one of these stories that makes my head just want to absolutely explode. The category is you've got to be kidding me. Stick around. Hey, Wisconsin, can you feel it? It's getting colder outside, and you know what that means. It means it's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we're featuring Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. You can find out more by visiting their website at PellaWI.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. number of people are, are texting in wondering if, I, I think, if, if Ron Johnson does hold on to, and again, I, look, you can't have it both ways. I, I, I'm always skeptical of polls, but at the same time, I think you dismiss polls at your own, at, even understanding that there is a problem. Sometimes, especially when Donald Trump is on the ballot, you, you saw that polls had trouble, you know, picking up the depth of the support there. But, um, you know, people are asking me, you know, do, do I think Ron Johnson has coattails that helps Tim Michaels? And my answer is, yeah. I mean, Ron, assuming, you know, Ron Johnson wins by a larger margin than people might anticipate. You, you saw that. People forget in 2016, I was, I was very surprised. I did not think Donald Trump was going to win Wisconsin. Um, and just like he lost Wisconsin in 2020, I acknowledge that. He, he won Wisconsin in 2016. But one of the reasons I knew something was happening with Trump, I remember you know being, I don't know if I was doing TV or radio or whatever I was on election night, and, and you saw that Ron Johnson had, had was outperforming Trump. Ron Johnson had run up a, a decent-sized margin, and those numbers continued through the night. And yeah, I think Ron Johnson had coattails, and I think it's possible i say possible that that could in fact you know happen again especially uh, especially in like the the senate race which i believe on the ballot is going to be above the um the, the governor's race could be wrong with that but I, I think you know yeah i think it's possible that he could have coattails if if he continues to you know to maintain the lead that he has all right if you are a regular listener of this program you know that one of the things I admittedly carry on about a lot is the high rate of crime that is in this, this area, just the out-of-control crime and the anger. And it is, I admit, it's, it's legitimate anger at, at the violence in the community that I grew up in. It's just that the fact that what, what has happened in southeastern Wisconsin is just almost unbelievable to me that we have let crime get as out-of-control as it has. One of the reasons— I believe crime has gotten so out of control is because we have not taken it seriously. We we do not do enough to hold people accountable and to, you know, in which the surprise, no, and it's just one of the reasons. There's other factors as well. But if you have somebody that, for example, steals a car and nothing happens to them, 
Well, should we be surprised that they go out and steal another car? And if nothing happens to them, should we be surprised if they go out and steal another car? Now, when it comes to car theft, your chances of getting caught are very, very minimal. I think of the seven plus thousand cars that got stolen, you know, last year in Milwaukee. Only about 10% of those car thefts were ever solved and or prosecuted. So your chances are like one in 10 of ever getting caught. And then if you go back and you look what happened to the people who did it, well, not much. And if it's a juvenile, nothing at all. It's one of the reasons why I, I asked Tim Michaels when he was in the studio last week, I said, look, if you're governor, one of the big problems we have is a juvenile quote unquote justice system that just doesn't hold people accountable. Would you be open to a complete revamping of this, recognizing that the type of juvenile crime that we are facing today is different than when the juvenile justice code was drafted decades ago? And he said, of course I would. And that's that's the only reasonable response we should have. All right. Part of the other problem, though, isn't just the laws. It is the fact that we do not employ the laws that we use right now to hold people accountable, which is one of the reasons why I had one of these, I don't know, head-exploding moments yesterday when I'm looking at today's TMJ4. So they're, 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 they're talking about car thefts. And they happen to, you know, go find the district attorney of Milwaukee County, John Chisholm, and they get him off the milk carton. And they say— Okay, you know what's you know what's going on? You know, seven plus thousand car thefts, very few people held accountable. What's going on? And and this is what John Chisholm has the audacity to say. He says, "Well, one of the myths that occurs is that we don't aggressively prosecute. That's just not the case." He points out that auto theft, for example, is a felony. It's operating auto without owner's consent. Adding that if someone is charged and convicted. The amount of time behind bars could be two years and two years of extended supervision. He believes it should be stiffer. I definitely think we should increase it. I definitely do. If you want to convey the seriousness of the offense, you should probably convey that and what the consequences are. For example, a stolen car becomes reckless driving incident as soon as the police discover it's a stolen car and they start fleeing from the police. And then, of course... Um, you know, Chisholm kicks it over to the legislature saying, well, you know, th- this would, of course, if we increase the penalty, it would have to come from the legislature. All right. Head exploding moment. Back up. All right. It is a felony. Here is the follow up question that you ask John Chisholm, which is, all right, of the people that you convicted, that you prosecuted for, that were arrested for car theft, how many were actually prosecuted? And of those, how many did your office actually recommend a maximum penalty of two years in prison for? And by the way, Mr. District Attorney, of the juveniles that were caught for stealing cars, how many of those juveniles were waived? Did you make an attempt to waive into adult court? And my guess is the answer is probably zero on that, unless they were involved in fleeing from the police and slamming in and killing somebody. But Chisholm's like, well, we don't have enough penalties. Well, I have not seen John Chisholm once, once, call out one of the Milwaukee County Circuit Court judges for sentencing somebody to less than two years in, in prison. The point is, I have no problem with increasing the maximum penalty for car thefts. But the problem in the system is if you do not have judges that are going to impose higher penalties and you have district attorneys that aren't going to seek maximum penalties or are going to plea bargain the cases down, you don't get anywhere. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to say, all right, we're going to have a mandatory minimum penalty of five years in prison for carrying a gun if the district attorney's office then just says, well, okay, we're we're not going to charge people with that. You know, if you, you rob a a store with a gun, well, okay, we're, we're just not going to charge the enhancer for having the gun. If they don't do that, when was the last time you had a district attorney? When was the last time you heard John Chisholm come out and say, all right, we just had this guy that we prosecuted for stealing six cars. This is what we recommended, 16 years in prison or 10 years in prison or whatever. He was put on probation. We think it's an outrage. No, you get none of that at all. So this idea that, well, you know, it's a myth that we're not tough on car theft. Of course they're not tough on car theft, which is why you have the Kia boys out there stealing stuff right and left. 
But let's let us move forward because we have an election coming up, right? And and maybe that's the way that we can start to change things. And maybe it is a legislative response. And maybe it's time to take things out of the hands of soft on crime judges or district attorneys who for whatever reasons, decide that, you know, they don't want to be aggressive. So let's take John Chisholm at his word. He's talking about stiffer penalties. Okay, I'm on board. What do you think mandatory five-year penalty, no parole for anyone who steals a car? Let's put juveniles aside for a minute. Let's put juveniles aside because that's a different conversation. But but okay, car theft. How about a five-year mandatory minimum penalty for anyone who steals a car? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. John Chisholm says, well, I'd like to have stiffer penalties. All right, I'd like to have stiffer penalties too. I'm down with that. Five years, mandatory minimum. You steal a car. You do not pass go. You go to prison and you go there for five years. I think that might be a good start. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. What do you think? One of our texters, Jeff, the article and Chisholm's statements are an insult to our intelligence. Any decent journalist would ask the same questions and report those facts. Well, okay, so John Chisholm has the audacity to go on Channel 4 and say, well, I, yeah, I understand we have an epidemic of car theft, but don't, don't blame me. You know, we're, you know we, we need stiffer penalties, to which my point is, and, and this is what the follow-up should have been, wait a second. All right, how many of the 7,000 autos that were stolen last year, how many did your – how many were referred to your office – how many cases did you actually charge, and what was the disposition of that? If you say the maximum penalty for this is two years, okay, how, how many of those car thieves did you get two years on? How many did your office recommend two years on? How many did you get two years on? And if, if that's the case, and you were not getting your recommendations instead of recommending probation or whatever, which is what happens on a regular basis, why weren't you calling out the judges for these soft crime sentences? And the truth is, because that that's... It's not the penalties. You can increase the penalties all you want, but if you have a district attorney that is not committed to aggressively enforcing these laws, it ain't going to make any difference. But I'll take Chisholm at his word. One of the things that's out there, and again, this is something you can do with the governor's race that is coming up here. You can say, all right, look, let's talk about tough on crime. How about how about we take some of these things out of the discretion of judges who are soft on crime or we take it out of the hands of the district attorney. So you steal a car, five-year mandatory penalty. All right, that, that's, that's what is the price of poker. You know, you go out, you steal somebody's car, and then it, it's five years. You commit a crime with a gun. It's a mandatory five years in prison. And then if you have district attorneys who decide that they're not going to charge these cases because they don't like the fact that it might be five years, oh, okay, who— then then you can vote the district attorneys out. Now, maybe you think five years is too strong. All right, mandatory minimum penalty. Maybe you make it three years. I, okay, we can discuss that. But this idea that, oh, we need tougher penalties, bull. You don't need tougher penalties. You need more aggressive prosecution, more aggressive enforcement, and you need people who are willing, if you've got DAs that aren't issuing charges or you've got judges that aren't imposing the appropriate sentences, then what you need to do is you need to replace them or take it out of their hands. Jeff, I think it should be 10 years, so they want out. um, The deal would be five years, um, you know, time to quit slapping hands and start slapping on the cuffs. Well, I think that there is an element to that. Jeff, Jeff, I'm with you. Mandatory five years without parole. I could not agree more. Um, Jeff, I don't see how Chisholm keeps getting reelected to office. Well, I don't think he's going to next time. If he is clearly just talking out of his you-know-what. I mean, I, th- that's it. He's saying, and that's that's it. Well, don't blame me. I'm just a potted plant. You know, it's, it's you know, we need stiffer penalties. Well, well no, the question would be, all right, how, how many times are you asking for the maximum penalty? And the answer is probably rarely. And again, we don't— we. You know, I'm not even talking about juveniles. That That's a whole different story. I'm not sure, again, the DA's office has ever moved to waive juvenile car thieves into adult court unless they have done something else. Like I say, running through a red light while fleeing police and hitting and killed somebody. Otherwise, I mean, if you're a juvenile, it is a license to steal. And you saw that with the Kia boys uh, situation. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Sure. 
Well, let, let me preface it by saying I don't think anybody should be out there stealing cars, and you do have to enforce and actually convict people of those crimes when they are uh, when they're guilty of doing them. Uh, but I, I do want to say that five-year uh, thing that people are saying here, that, that's just absolutely insane if you're talking about a nonviolent crime. Now, I'm not talking about someone who holds up someone at gunpoint and steals their keys and takes their car from them. I'm talking about the nonviolent theft of a vehicle. Uh, to, to put that in perspective, uh, aggravated battery uh would give you a, a sentence of, I think, is it six years? Or uh, or the one step below that is three and a half years. So if you're going to say that a nonviolent crime should put you uh, mandatory in you ever had your car stolen, longer Mark? than you ever a had your car stolen? assault? You ever had your car stolen? Well, actually, I, I have, actually. Yes, okay. I have. All right. Uh, what happened to the locksmith what happened to the, dealing with this What happened to the, what happened to the per- Did they ever catch the person who stole your car? I did, because I knew the person. And so I, I resolved it without the uh, aid of the police. Oh, okay. But, uh, but that, so there were no charges issued. Uh, well, no, I understand. I understand your point. Right. You're saying I, it's I a victim. You're, you're saying it's a victimless crime. It's no big deal. And no, I, not not at all. It, it is a big deal, and there are victims to it. Okay. But the victim of a theft is far far different than a victim of a, a physical assault a, a, or crime. Absolutely. And the other point I wanted to raise to you, sir, is that I'm a locksmith, and I've been dealing with these Kia ignitions for quite some time now and without going into any details about the vulnerability there is an egregious security flaw and vulnerability with these vehicles which is why they're being so predominantly targeted well that's why okay mark it might be why they're targeted mark no mark it might be why they're targeted but I, I see this is this is this liberal mindset, and that's it, you, you don't want to hold people accountable, and that's what drives me crazy. It, it's yes, there there is this flaw in the Kias that makes it easier to steal. All right, but that's like saying if you don't leave your windows locked, you deserve to have somebody come in and break into your house. It, it's the problem, Mark, is that you have a criminal element that is willing to steal cars that has no respect for anybody or anything and so it's always somebody else's fault no it's the car theft's fault and you know i mean i'll tell you something i could be walking past the car it could be unlocked the keys could be in the ignition it could be running and there could be a bunch of christmas presents in the back seat and it would not occur to me to steal that car that is how most decent people respond but you have a criminal element that does not care so no i i, I don't buy this idea that oh well we should exempt because because it's easier to steal this. I mean, that is, again, like saying, if you leave your door unlocked, you deserve, if you leave your garage door unlocked, you deserve to be broken into. Sorry, I, I don't buy that. That's that's just, I think, a ridiculous position. But beyond that, your point is, well, it's, it, it's you know, I mean, yeah, I, nobody wants to have their car stolen, but, you know, we, we, don't, we don't want to come down too hard on these car thefts. You talk to one of the people whose cars have been stolen, not by one of their friends who takes it on a joyride, but you talk to one of these people who need that car to go out to do their, their business, to, to get their kids to school, it's their, get themselves to work. They come out, find their car gone from the street, and then three days later it ends up smashed against some tree, and then they're dealing with the insurance company. They're dealing with the, the personal violation of having one of their, their big-time objects. Maybe they probably maybe paid fifteen, twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars $20,000, $30,000 for the car. It's gone. So they're dealing with having to try to deal with the insurance and figure out in a day and age where there's no new cars on the market how they're going to be able to replace that. So don't tell me it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And by the way, I'm not arguing that you know somebody walking into a 7-Eleven and sticking a gun in their face isn't a big deal as well. It is. It is. My point is it's time to hold people accountable because we don't do that. We don't do that. Now, if you want to say, Jeff, I think five years is too much. We should make it three years in prison, mandatory without parole. Okay, I'm willing to have that conversation. But until we start telling people that there are consequences, cars are going to continue to be stolen. And that's the bottom line. And that's what should be unacceptable. And anybody who doesn't think that that's a big deal has never been victimized themselves or has never known anybody who's been victimized. 
That's the difference. I want to hold people accountable. I want to make law-abiding citizens safe. And yes, by the way, if that means you got to build more prisons, then build more prisons until we get the criminal class, the hardcore criminals that are out there repeating and committing crime after crime after crime, let's get them off the streets. Because at least that way it makes the streets safe for decent, law-abiding people. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. It is my pleasure to be joined on the WTMJ hotline by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, hope you're doing well. We, we are doing well. Thank you for rescheduling. We had, I know we were booked to talk about it this an hour ago, but we had some severe weather that was moving through the area. So I appreciate your will, your flexibility with this interview. Yeah, not a problem. I haven't heard that uh, was there real damage. Anybody injured? Uh, no, I, I don't believe so. Um, 22,000 people without power, you know, it's just a, a, a pop-up series of storms and a couple tornado warnings and stuff. But I think we, we ended up doing as well as could be expected. Senator, um, all right, I, I don't know if you were aware of this. Within the last hour, Barquette University Law School released its latest poll, has you opening up a six-point lead over Mandela Barnes. This is, of course, like a 13-point swing over the, the last two months. A- any comments, on, and I understand everybody's a little bit skeptical about polls, but but any comments on the latest poll results? Well, yeah, I always approach these races like they're pretty much dead even because it's Wisconsin and we're a pretty divided state. Uh, but to the extent there has been a movement in the polls, and I think there probably has, it's just that we've now been able to tell the truth about Mandela Barnes. Uh, he's been hiding from the press through most of his campaign. Uh, but now we're talking about how he truly does want to defund the police, how he seems to have more sympathy for the criminals than the victims. I mean, a good example of that is the callous Tweedy uh, tweeted about uh, Congressman Scalise, you know, who almost died from uh, a Bernie Sanders supporter, uh, said that he was just taking one for the team. Uh, so now that people realize that not only Lieutenant Governor Barnes, but also Governor Evers, uh, completely soft on crime, they wanted to reduce the prison population by 50%. They reduced it 15%, including 884 parolees, uh, 784 were violent criminals, including 44 child rapists, 270 criminals who primarily committed or attempted murder, and they were horrific murders, according to the News Council in Wisconsin right now. So people are are realizing that the crime is increasing. It's because of these Democrat uh, soft on crime policies. Senator Johnson, the same day that the poll comes out showing you pulling ahead to a, a, a what I would consider to be a significant lead, uh, the, the local newspaper goes all in in, in saying that you, Ron Johnson should not be reelected. I want to I, I want to talk about a couple of their points with you, because I admit some of these it seems like they're talking points from the Barnes campaign. Um Ron Johnson shouldn't be reelected because he wants to upend Medicare and Social Security. Jeff, I want to save Social Security and Medicare. I have from day one. Now, I've been accused of this for the last three elections. Now, what I'm pointing out is that the greatest threat to Social Security and Medicare is this out-of-control deficit spending and our out-of-control debt. Uh, why do you think we have uh, eight? I think it's 8.5% inflation? Uh, well, actually, we haven't got the, the new number in on that. It's 8.5% PPI report. But it's because of this out-of-control deficit spending. A dollar you held at the start of the Biden administration is now worth 88.3 cents. That's crushing seniors. If you were a senior on a fixed income and you were fortunate enough to have a nest egg at the start of the Biden administration, for easy calculation, let's say $100,000, that's only worth $88,300. That's the impact of -of out-of-control deficit spending. So I'm just honest with Wisconsinites. I'm pointing out the fact that the Social Security Trust Fund it will be depleted in you know 2033 to 2035. Uh, we already have passed the point where benefits exceed the payroll tax revenue generated, so we're starting to draw down on the trust fund. Uh, that, by the way, is pretty much a fiction. A, a U.S. government bond held in the hands of the U.S. government really doesn't have value. It does if you hold it. But in the hands of the U.S. government, uh, all that happens is when the trustees turn that bond into the U.S. Treasury, they have to issue another bond to borrow money. And the danger is 
at some point in time, creditors are going to look at the U.S. government and say, your credit risk, we'll loan you money, but not at that rate. And if we were to return to the interest rate that we averaged over the last three decades of the last century, 5.4%, which is a pretty reasonable interest rate, uh, that would increase our interest expense per year by $1.2 trillion, which is what we spend on Social Security today. So I'm just pointing out the looming danger uh, and potential crisis of a debt crisis because we haven't controlled spending. And I think we have to look at the entire budget and start prioritizing things. And top of the priority for me is honoring those promises to seniors. Uh, One of the other, and we've talked about this before, Senator, but one of the things is that the local editorial board says as well, he made sure his ultra-wealthy donors got a giant tax break. Can we talk about that for a minute? Sure. So it was, I'm the guy who during Republican tax reform, when all we were going to do is cut taxes for the top 5% of American businesses, the C-Corps, because I come from the private sector, I said, whoa, hang on, guys. You know, we're leaving 95% of American businesses out of this. Do you realize that? I think a lot of my colleagues didn't because they had no experience in the private sector. So I dug my heels and said, no, I'm not going to vote for this until every business gets a tax cut. And as a result, 95% of American businesses also got a tax cut more than 20 million tax filers, Jeff. And uh, they were, as a result, the mom and pop shops, small businesses were able to stay competitive with the big guys and survive the pandemic. I can't tell you how many businesses have come up to me and said, you know, were it not for that tax cut, Senator, we would not have survived the pandemic. So it's really, you know, I don't think there are many senators can look at that significant achievement, uh, Throw that, throw it on top of that right to try. It's my bill that saves lives, our Joseph project that transforms lives. I'm, I'm pretty proud of my accomplishments as your U.S. Senator. Uh, you know, Senator, one of the other claims is, and, and th- this one, I'm not sure where this came from, but it's Ron Johnson has displayed a stunning lack of interest in creating jobs in Wisconsin. And I, I have no idea exactly where that comes from. They, they just make it up. You know, I actually started a manufacturing business. I created good-paying manufacturing jobs in Wisconsin. I didn't export jobs overseas. I exported plastics to China. So this is, the, you know, these charges are made up out of whole cloth. It's the same old dribble you hear out of Democrats and liberals all the time. And unfortunately, you know, the, the liberals in the mainstream media, certainly on the editorial board of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, they just amplify the lies of uh, the Democrats. Very unfortunate. It's, it's, it's poisoning our politics. I, you know, one of the other claims, and then, then we'll move on to a couple other things in the time we have left, but he, he, Ron Johnson is a climate change denier. Do you consider yourself to be a climate change denier? No, I, climate has always changed, always will change. I'm just not an alarmist. You know, I don't believe that the world's going to end in 12 years. And, you know, if you go back and you take a look at predictions from Al Gore or whoever, you know, the polar ice caps, for, I think they said we were going to be uh, totally melted by the year 2014. Well, it's 2022, and they're still there. Um, you know, I often point out that it was less than 20,000 years ago when Wisconsin was covered by a glacier, okay? Um, and, by the way, the, the, everybody's concerned about sea level rise, right? Do you know how, how much the sea has risen in the Bay of San Francisco? San Francisco since the last glaciation period, which is just a blink of the eye in geologic time, 390 feet. So again, I, I try and put everything in perspective. I'm a huge environmentalist. I can, I'm concerned about groundwater. Uh, you know, I'm concerned about the pollutions that actually do impact us, something that we can do something about. I, you know, when, when Russia and India are going to continue to use fossil fuels, and quite honestly, we'll need to use fossil fuels to power our economy, we're finding out that wind and solar is not reliable enough, and it makes our grid very unreliable. I just am not willing to spend hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars, uh, trying to solve a problem that we really can't impact. Senator, I, I think if you look at the the, the top concern that, that many people have nowadays, it is it is rising costs. It's, it's inflation. It's you know gasoline back around four dollars or over four dollars a gallon, and it's you know everything we buy, whether it's at the grocery store or things we order for our homes or whatever. Just just the price is going through the roof. What what can Washington do? What would you like to see done? What will you do if and when you're reelected a uh, month from now? We'll return to energy independence. 
against the Democrats' war on fossil fuel that purposefully drove up the cost of energy and gasoline to force you into an electric vehicle. I mean, they, again, these things didn't just happen. This was done on purpose in terms of gasoline prices. And this out-of-control deficit spending. And I've got uh, a pretty good record in terms of voting no on this massive spending. It uh, takes courage to vote no, Jeff, because when you vote no on these trillion-dollar bills, you know, within a trillion-dollar bill, there are things we do need to spend money on. And, and I actually do try and insert or certainly fund things that are worthy of funding. But in the end, uh, you know, I vote no. I, I just refuse to continue to mortgage our children's future because I think it's immoral. Uh, Senator, you've got a debate. What coming up? I think it's, it's tomorrow night. It's the second debate. What, uh, what should we anticipate? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I hope it's not an ambush like uh, last Friday's, where every question came from the, the left and set up uh, Mandela Barnes. Uh, I hope it's a little more fair and balanced, and I hope it actually focuses on the issues impacting Wisconsinites. We barely, barely didn't talk about uh, inflation right. or rising crime or uh, high gasoline prices uh, last Friday. We really ought to talk about that uh, tomorrow, but... Um, you know, it's the liberal media that run these things, so I, I don't have a great expectation. You know, I, I thought it was so interesting that, you know, in, in an era where if you look at the issues, it, it's crime and it's the, the border and it's the economy. And what was like the first question out of the box they asked you about, like legalizing marijuana or something like that, which is really but something that, that the U.S. Senate has really very little to do with as a practical matter. Yeah, but, but even that was revealing because Mandela Barnes said that marijuana is harmless. He really ought to read more. Because, listen, I suppose some people can use marijuana responsibly, but it is far from harmless. There is mounting evidence of the harm that marijuana causes, particularly to young minds, uh, creates violent behavior in some people. Uh, it can be a disaster from a standpoint of public safety and law enforcement in the, in the states where it has been legalized. Uh, I, I would caution anybody who'd want to rush toward legalization of marijuana, but uh, anybody who says it's harmless simply is not well-read, is not really looking at the evidence. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks so much for spending some time with me this afternoon. Hopefully we'll have a chance to chat um, before the election, which is coming up four weeks from yesterday. Stay well. Take care. Take care. That's uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, and glad we had an opportunity to talk with him, uh, especially after the results of the latest Marquette Law School poll. And I want to be real cautious here. I, I think you have to take poll results with a grain of salt. I am not the poll denier that some people are, and especially when you start to see poll numbers coming together or you start to see movement in the same poll. And like I say, in the Marquette Law School poll, you had you know two months ago, they had Mandela Barnes up by seven. And I correctly, I think, predicted that that was going to be the high water part point of that campaign. And now it's been pretty much a, a flip. But a lot of stuff can happen over the course of the next four weeks. Voting starts in about two weeks because we, of course, have early voting as well. The it, politics is an interesting thing. The absolute hatred. And, and that's the only way to describe it. That's out there among some people for, for Ron Johnson it just always stuns me. And, you know, when, whenever we have Ron Johnson on, there inevitably there'll be five or six or seven of the usual suspects who will send some of these notes that are like, oh my goodness gracious, this is, you know, you, you folks are really out there and this is what you actually think. And I, and I understand you can disagree with people on issues, but, but the the hatred that Ron Johnson inspires on, on, among the left is just always kind of stunning to me. And I'm sure, you know, when they see poll numbers showing that he's starting to pull away to a large lead, it's got to just absolutely ruin some people's afternoons. Now, who knows what's going to happen in the election? But um, you know, Ron Johnson, just like Donald Trump, but in a different way, Ron Johnson is one of those you know politicians who people feel very strongly about one way or the other. And at least if you believe the most recent polls, the, I think people have decided that he is the superior choice. But again, a lot can happen over the course of the next four weeks. Um, it, it it will be interesting to see what happens at their final debate, which is tomorrow night, because the the one 
The one thing that struck me, and I mentioned this yesterday, about the format of the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association, I have no, I, I, I have no beef with Wisconsin Broadcasters Association. I think our station is, of course, a member of that, and I know um, some of our executives have been on the board and stuff. I, I just think it was a, it was a really bad format. To me, debates should be exactly that. There, there should be interactions between the candidates. You have one moderator, and then you kind of let the candidates go after each other, and you know, argue with themselves instead of what, again, the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association quote-unquote debate turned out to be, which is um, six reporters all seeking their 15 minutes of fame and all asking these really, really long questions, many of which um, really were either loaded or had no no real relationship to, you know, what's what you do in the U.S. Senate. Again, the first question, how do you feel about legalized marijuana? Well, okay, I don't think there's a huge push to legalize marijuana on the federal level. If you want to talk about it on the state level, okay, maybe you talk about it. But really, why aren't we talking about inflation? And why aren't we talking about crime? And why aren't we talking about the border? And why aren't we talking about, you know, all the, these other issues which are much more significant to voters, at least as far as causing them to vote. Here's some breaking news. Former Green Bay Packers receiver Devontae Adams, who now plays for the Las Vegas Raiders. Remember, he bailed on the Packers because he wanted to play with Derek Carr, his college quarterback, and he thought the Raiders were going to be the team of the future. And the Raiders are, are probably the most disappointing team. They're 1-4. They're and four. And they lost the game in Kansas City the other night on Monday Night Football. And then, if you will remember, you know, Adams was frustrated as he was walking off the field. He pushed a, a cameraman, a photographer, pushed him down to the ground, pushed him really hard. We talked a little bit about it yesterday. Um, Adams has now been charged. The authorities in Kansas City have brought misdemeanor assault charges against him. Uh, the photographer's name was Ryan Zebley, pushed him to the ground. Police called it an intentional overt act that caused whiplash, a headache, and possible minor concussion. Charges were filed in municipal court. I mean, it's a misdemeanor. Um, Adams's excuse is, well, I'm sorry, um, but he jumped in front of me coming off the field. I kind of pushed him. He ended up on the ground. Now, if you see it, he, he, Mike Spaulding, he, yeah, he pushed him. He kind of pushed him. Yeah, he, he kind of pushed, pushed him, him hard. And gee, imagine you know, got this big football player that pushes this guy who's holding the camera, and he goes flying butt over tea kettle and ends up on the ground and ends up what they're saying like whiplash. And it's uh, you know that there's going to be a whiplash, a head headache, and possibly minor concussion so criminal charges and you know there's going to be a lawsuit behind this oh absolutely a hundred percent and it's no surprise that he is being charged what i do wonder is if now that the fact that there are criminal charges being uh filed if that will spur the nfl to announce some sort of one game suspension in addition to a fine or, or anything like that I, I don't i mean i said this yesterday i don't see how they can't suspend him for a game you, you can't one, huh? yeah. yeah you i mean the guy it's a credentialed photographer you know, you're you're around these all the time. You cannot have players assaulting. And somebody said, oh, you didn't assault him. Yes, when when you do what he did, trust me, free advice from a free legal advice from a recovering lawyer, that is an assault. Don't try that at home. Mike Spaulding, don't be walking out of here if you've had a frustrating day because it's whatever and you have somebody that wants to take your picture outside. My advice is don't push him as hard as you can and knock him butt over tea kettle because you too will be charged with assault. Eric and I will work out our differences through words, I think, but yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. We're, work it out like that. But anyhow, that's the breaking news. Devontae Adams has been charged, misdemeanor offense, because uh, the guy um, he says he was, was injured in connection with this and... I um I you know he went down hard that that's that's kind of all I can say. Our next story comes to us from Lower Marion Township in Pennsylvania. Um that's a it's a it's a Philadelphia suburb to to give you an idea. For the last 50 years. 50 years. Not 5, last 50 years. In connection with Halloween, the elementary schools have been having a Halloween parade for the last 50 years, 5-0. And what, what the Halloween parade would involve is you would have kids that would, would come and they they dress in costume, weren't required to dress in costume, but they dress. most of them would dress in costume. And what they would do is they would parade around like the, the field 
outside the the school, like the playground, essentially. That that's what they do. Maybe it maybe it's the maybe it's a field if they've got it. Otherwise, it's the playground. So that's these are elementary school kids. So they dress up and they have a parade. And what would happen is that the parents would come and they see the kids in costumes and they take pictures or videos or whatever. It, it's they've been doing it for fifty years. It's kind of a feel good sort of thing. Now. They have decided they are not going to do this this year. It has been canceled. Now, it hasn't been canceled because they've decided, well, we need more class time or anything like that. It has been canceled. Well, they give two reasons, but but it's really the second one. One, they say, is, well, first, we have some concerns for the safety and security of our students parading around a crowd of unscreened adults on our field. That would be the parents. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's the parents that, that, that are coming or the, the relatives or the brothers and the sisters. I mean, it's, it, it's not unlike any, like a flag football game or anything else. So, but, so the first thing they say is, well, we've got some, some concerns about security. Now, they haven't had a problem in 50 years. But, but here's, here's the real reason they canceled it, and it's the second reason. They said the other reason is a lack of inclusivity of students whose family do not celebrate Halloween for religious or cultural reasons. So, you know, what they they say is that, okay, so some people are going to feel like they they must be left out. And so you might have a handful of kids who don't want to participate in the parade. So if they don't want to participate in the parade, they sit in the library instead. That is the alternative. So the idea is we can't allow everybody else to participate in this parade that we've been doing for 50 years and enjoying themselves, and everybody has this. We can't allow them to do it because there might be a couple kids that do not participate in this, and they have to sit in the library, and we don't want them to feel left out. Now, however, they they do say they are going to continue to allow the kids to come in costume, and they will have some fall-themed events in the classroom. So— I mean, I guess that's part of the problem with me is that if you don't if you don't believe in Halloween or whatever, you're you're still you're not going to come dressed in costume, so you're going to still feel left out. But this idea is because of inclusivity, because there might be a handful of children who choose not to participate, and it is a choice not to participate. And by the way, it's it's Halloween for goodness sakes. I mean, it's not like you're having a Christmas parade or something like that. It's Halloween, and because you have a couple children who choose of their own volition not to participate, they are canceling the entire event. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I guess I look at this and say, it's been going on for 50 years. It's really not broke. Anybody is welcome to participate. You do not have to wear costumes. And if you choose not to participate and you want to sit in the library, that's great. To me, this is no different than going on field trips where you have somebody for whatever reasons decide, okay, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to hear the symphony play Peter and the Wolf or whatever, so I'm going to sit back at the school. Our number, 855-616-1620, political correctness run amok or, okay, it's time for inclusivity. How dare we recognize Halloween? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. If you're just tuning in, uh, we're talking about there's the school districts outside of Philadelphia. For the last 15, 50, five zero years, they've had at the elementary schools in the school district, they've had a Halloween parade. And, and what the kids do is they come in costumes, don't have to, and then they they parade around the, like the playground essentially. And parents, if they want, can come and they take pictures of all the kids dressed up in their costumes or, or not. Okay, and, and fifty years, people love it. The school district has decided to cancel it this year, not because they've decided it's not an appropriate use of class time, but rather, and and the real reason, I mean, they they give a couple reasons, but the real reason is they're concerned that there are a small handful of kids who, for whatever reasons, choose not to participate. So they they don't make them. Nobody drags them out and says, you have to go through the parade. They let them sit in the library instead. And the argument is, well, you know, we don't want these kids to feel left out, so you know, we're going to cancel the parade, to which one of our texters says. So now nobody has a fun experience. Yep, that's exactly what um, what's going on. You know, that's that's what happened. Jeff, I, too, woke up today wondering what I might discover would offend me. Right. So you've got people they are now offended by the Halloween parade. Now, one of the other things they say is, well, gee, we're concerned about like like safety. Oh, give me a break. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> 
it, it's around the playground, for goodness sakes. They've never had any instances of that. This is purely about you've got a handful of kids who, for whatever reasons, choose not to participate. And again, you don't, you don't have to. They don't make you do it. And you can participate even if you don't want to wear a costume. You can walk around with your fellow classmates and stuff like that. But because some choose not to, at least a handful, it's not inclusive. So nobody gets to do it. Let's talk to Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. You know, it's so sad because everybody else, because of a few um, parents, um, are, you know, not letting the kids participate. Right. But then you warp the other kids who want to participate. Right. So maybe take them, if, if you feel that uh, passionate about it, then take them to a movie, take them out of school, do whatever. But let the... The other kids have their Halloween when you dressed up, you trick or treated, you got your yucky candy, and you yeah. know you just you just did it. And there's actually a history if people took the time to look up Halloween right. and and you know figure out where it started. It's just so sad. Well, it is sad, and, it, and this is this is just it, and it's a it's a. It, look, it's it's a fun, positive thing. And again, I see I'm with you. If, if you are one of the handful, and you know it's got to be a really small handful of parents who has an issue exactly. with this, you're okay. You're, you're exactly right. Keep your kids home if if you think that they're going to be offended by sitting in the library oh, for the hour. Right, exactly. Do any of that. But why do you deprive all the other kids from having you know fun? It's just it's it, it's it's right. depressing. And, and the kids were would you know that was a whole big deal. You know, uh, my my dad, who's 91, would help me make a costume. My last costume was a dog in a dog food bag. So he put a large dog food bag over my body and put ears in a collar. Okay, that that was my costume. Okay, so it's like fun. It, it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't no. have to be vindictive. Just just. Right. It, right. it, it, it doesn't have to be satanic. No, thanks, thanks for calling. It's just, it, it's Halloween and it's just fun. Jeff, why does the majority also ha- always have to give in to the very few in the disguise of inclusivity? The few that don't want to participate can have special activities in the library. They, they can have their own party or event. Um, yeah, Jeff, Halloween is fun for kids. And I, I think, you know, that that's the whole idea. It, it's Fun for kids, or at least it it's fun for the vast majority of kids. Anyways, Halloween is fun for kids. Let them have fun. It's something that brings kids together and promotes creativity and excitement at a at a school. Um, yeah, I think there's the the element of of that. You know, what 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 can you say? Let's talk to let's see Trish Trish in Green Bay. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, my thoughts exactly. Um, I have two daughters that actually went through um, school, and about 15, 20 years ago, the segment came up of canceling uh, the Halloween Mm -hmm. and parading around, and I actually went in to teach art, and I made everyone make a costume, and we had a fall festival. Um, for whatever re- reason, the religion or whatever, the ethnicity mm-hmm. of the Halloween, if they don't celebrate it, there's other ways to celebrate it. Yeah. So either take yeah take your child out of the classroom for the day or, right. um, you know, if they don't want them to celebrate, but it's like you have to turn it into something else fun that nobody gets hurt and they sure. still learn. They're still being creative. They can make their own, you know, costumes yeah. and... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, no, I'm with you. No, thanks for calling. I mean, there's all sorts of, of different options. Jeff, when I was younger, my mom used to pull us from Halloween parties at school because of religious reasons, okay? The teacher would simply just let her know, and she would take us home for the day. No need to ruin it for everyone else. And I guess, you know, that's that's the point. You know, there, there's no need to ruin it for everyone else. I mean, like, like I say, what if you're, if the school schedules a field trip somewhere and some parent, for whatever reason, doesn't want their kid to go on that particular field trip? Well, what do you do? Do you cancel the field trip? Do you say, okay, nobody else can go on the field trip? No, you say, all right, we're, we're going to have, you know, other alternative things for the kids that don't go on the field trip, whether it's something back at the school or, and I'm using the field trip as an example, you can probably come up with a million of them. Jeff, in a public school setting, I think they should be sticking to the essentials, reading, writing, arithmetic. Oh, okay, here, here's my comment on that. If, if that was the reason that they canceled the parade, 
I, I, I think you can make an argument for that. If they came out and said, look, we, th- this is a distraction, and we've been doing it for 50 years, but we've decided that the 30 minutes that the parade takes or the hour that the parade takes or, or however long it takes, that we think that that is too much of a diversion away from you know the, the, the basic things, the core elements of the school, and so we're going to have it as classroom time. If they had said that— at least you can have an argument, but that's not what they're saying. They're, they're not saying we want to divert the hour of, or however long the parade takes because we want the kids studying. They're just, we're canceling the parade because, you know, some parents, there's a handful of parents who might not think it's inclusive enough, but oh, by the way, we are still going to have fall-themed activities and a costume thing at the end of the day, which makes me wonder, okay, well, how are those kids who, who didn't don't believe in Halloween or whatever, they can't participate in the parade, what, what are you going to do with them like during the costume event? I mean, that's—I just—the the stuff, again, it kind of makes, you know, my, my head, you know, explode. Jeff, I ran into this for multiple holidays with Jehovah's Witness families. Typically, they chose to keep their child home. I understand. I respect that. And I, I think that's— that is the appropriate way to handle things like this. If you've got, uh, for whatever reason, an objection to what is going on in the school, your your option should be, okay, I'm not going to impose my will and require an activity that is fun for 98% of the school. I'm not going to deny them this tradition and this fun thing simply because I happen to be the outlier. All right, I'm, I'm just simply going to—there'll be alternatives for for my kids, including maybe keeping them at home. That's the way you handle it. But nowadays, all you have to say is, well, we don't think this is inclusive enough, and everybody decides that they're just going to roll over. I'm saying sometimes you stick to your guns. 